Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 13, Armageddon Game, teleplay by Morgan Gendel and Ira Stephen Bear and James Crocker. And this person, and this person, and this person. No, I'm just kidding. There weren't other people. <laughs> and directed by Winrick Colby. This episode aired on January 30th, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, O'Brien and Bashir help to rid two races of their biological weapons. However, both governments want to ensure no technical knowledge of the weapons can survive. So I did remember some of the scenes of this episode, and it was only Keiko's scenes, and I don't know if it's more related to my love of (laughs) Rosalind Chow or my love of coffee. Of coffee? (laughs) (laughs) Probably the latter, if I'm being honest. Well, and it's got that, like, the whole, like, mystery plotter, like, subtle, like, mystery plot of, like, Keiko figuring out that (laughs) the video of the booby trap was faked because Miles is drinking coffee in the afternoon and then the episode ends <laughs> with that like oh it's the afternoon i would like this coffee please <laughs> um it's kind of like it's very tos in that way where it ends on a joke yeah i so, really enjoy yeah. it's like it, the the episode where um it reminded me of my favorite movie one two three where um the replicator was broken and miles had to fix it so that cisco could have his coffee and then at the end like they did all these things all these things and at the end of the episode cisco goes to have his coffee and it's like oh brian because like it didn't work like that kind yeah, of joke right, was really right, funny right, too right. so i have a question do you think this yes. entire plot would not have happened if Cisco did not insist on O'Brien and Bashir staying for that party? Like, and then O'Brien having to be like, I suppose another day won't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. Good, good, good bit. <laughs> um, no, I think it probably still would have happened. Right. That Just that the um, two governments from the Ministry of Silly Wigs would have... <laughs> Would have had to move up their their timelines for the um. Sorry, Ministry of Silly Wigs sent me. They probably would have just had to move up their timelines, right? Yeah, that's. Fair. It's like come to think of it, I didn't put this in the notes, but the whole idea is it's it's very Goldeneye, hey, where uh, Ramav and and Anatop kill everyone at Seven Naya, except um, Natalia escapes, but they don't know it. Yes. Just to, yeah, it's 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 very that. <laughs> I just want Alan Cumming to be, like, invincible, like, in the middle of this episode. That would be pretty great. Um, have you? Yes. This is off topic, but, like, have you Us heard, off topic? Um, <laughs> no, right? Um, have you listened to any of the cabaret recordings with Alan Cumming? I have not MC? experienced any version of any cabaret. Ever. Why do you ask? It's good. Oh, because Alan Cummings really good as the MC, mm-hmm. and like the MC, like in Cabaret is is this kind of queer coded, somewhat like androgynous character. It just yeah, he's he's pretty good in it. Um, as, as far as I know, he's played in a Broadway at least twice. Mm-hmm. I know in the what was I think of the late nineties. Um, there's a revival where Natasha um Richardson was actually oh, Sally Bowles and R.I.P. R.I.P. Natasha. Um, and that's actually a pretty good recording. I've listened to that one. And then there was one, I think, 
10-ish years ago that they did again where I think he played the MC again, but uh, Emma Stone was um, Sally in it, but I, I haven't heard the recordings of that. I recently had been listening to the Monkey Off My Backlog, seven, uh, 13 Days of X-Men, and I think Alan Cumming being in Cabaret came up in X-Men 2 because he was in that. Um, yeah. And I love they, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler fucking loves. Yeah, and they said that um, one of the reasons was because I guess he's fluent in German, like the actor, oh. and like so maybe that helped him get cast in Cabaret, but I also don't know enough about Cabaret to like, I guess there's, is I assume there's some German in it, I don't know. Yeah, it, it takes place in Germany in the 20s. Oh, okay. So um, it, make, like it all it's, makes it's, sense it's, it's a, Yeah, so it's like, you know, that whole, like, um, the interwar during the Weimar Republic period and, like, before um, the Nazis come to power and it's like there are large portions of um, German society or the German nightclub society, things like that, that are actually, like, for the time of it being, like, 100 years ago, like, quite inclusive mm. um, and quite queer and it's the whole like i i know this is the name of like a show but i don't know how much the show references this but this whole like babylon berlin sort of thing um and yeah so it's about kind of like this sub this these subcultures existing and then ceremoniously like you know obviously then being persecuted under you know the rise of fascism um so yeah and it's like there's a writer that's in berlin and like in the stage version, the writer is American, and then Sally, the cabaret singer, is British. But then in the movie, they flip it, right? So Michael York plays like the journalist. Okay. So he's British, and then Liza Minnelli plays Sally, but then she's American. But typically, it's like the other way around. And then the MC's kind of the the like narrator. He's like the obviously he's called MC because he's the the MC of the like titular cabaret. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's worth, uh, it sounds like something I need out. to get into. Cause like, I like Michael York also. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. I don't know if I've actually ever seen the, the movie in full, but, uh, I've I seen it. I have to add it to my on stage. letterbox to watch um. list. <laughs> Anyways, now it's five minutes on Cabaret based on like a quick Golden Eye reference about Deep Space Nine. So, all right, was yeah, that the Scooby Doo so ending with the like? Doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen yeah. Wayne's World. <laughs> it's been a minute. They have like yeah, different that's... endings, and they're like, "This is the Scooby Doo ending," and then they have like. They rip the uh, face off of like a bad guy or whatever. It's really a different <laughs> bad guy. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, that's funny. Um, so back to our initial thoughts on this episode. What do you think about good customers are as rare as Latinum? <laughs> you know what? I actually like. I kind of really liked that. Scene. Oh no, I didn't um, think he was like joking like i took it very seriously no 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 no. i don't think he was yeah i don't think he was either and i think cork was being like actually like quite sweet and sentimental there and it like i was thinking about in that scene some of the things that we had talked about um 
earlier, well, probably a couple months ago now, when we covered rules of acquisition and, like, the idea of, like, who Quark is versus who Quark pretends or feels yeah. like he mm-hmm. should be. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, there's there's a sentimental, caring guy under there, right? Like, yeah. so, yeah. I think so. I really, I just really like this episode, but I also, and I'll fully admit, kind of, and I'm sure it'll get better as we go on, but I, like, struggled for, like, things to talk about in it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I was just enjoying watching it and I didn't want to pull it apart too much or what, but I did really like it. Um, I found it really interesting. I was reading up on the episode and originally the O'Brien role in this episode was supposed to be Dax. And I'm extremely glad that they changed it. I know I've mentioned before that I am officially like done with the trying to pair Dax and Bashir together or hint at it. And I think that Having yeah. Dax in that role in this episode would have kind of like harped on it a little bit too much. Um, so yeah, it would have. Yeah. yeah, it potentially in my mind, anyways, would have been more that like, oh, why did you friend zone me? Um, which the friend zone isn't a thing, whatever. But that would be very much Julian's perspective. Yeah. Um, at this point, mm-hmm. um, like that, as opposed to you know, two bros getting to know what, each what other. What we got. Yeah, two yeah, two bros, dudes rocking, um, together and learning how the ways they their differences can make them rock even harder together. Um, <laughs> that sounded really, what's really gay, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it wasn't yeah. like that's uh, not what you meant, but it was just really funny. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting too. Was like, so the original like story by credit is Morgan Gendel who had the original um story idea for what i can't remember what the episode it was the one with like vantica where bashir had the criminal's mind imprinted we had oh i mentioned that later in my notes for this episode yeah the (laughs) hailing us like episode i can't remember what it was called i can't remember what the title of it was now no me neither but but it makes me sad that lazi's not here to tell us he came on for that um but morgan gendel obviously like again i think we talked about in this episode is the writer who created the next generation episode the inner light which a lot of people hail as one of next gen's best episodes i am in a minority that i like i think it's fine and has some kind of serious consent issues um but the original plot was much more um Gendel-ish, where it was kind of like the the plans for the weapon were hidden in O'Brien or someone's like DNA. Oh, so it wasn't yeah, just like I the knowledge. It was like the actual like weapon was like hidden there. It was like I don't know, kind of like um like in Man of Steel, how like the codex or whatever for Kryptonian DNA or genetics or whatever is like gets imprinted into Superman. I've purpose- it's like very much similar. I've to kind that. of like purposely blocked Man of Steel from my brain, so I don't remember. But I will trust you on that <laughs> <laughs> point. Well, I ha- I haven't watched it in a long time, but uh, with some serious caveats, my maybe my one of my more toxic traits is like 
I actually think Man of Steel is better than its reputation. <laughs> I don't. Not that it's a good movie, yeah. but like, I, I honestly don't remember it. Um, I just know that Batman versus Superman was one of the most boring movies I ever saw. That's all. Oh yeah, like totally. Um, yeah. Um, so that that whole concept felt more like Morgan Gendel Lee to me <laughs> than what we ended up kind of getting, but like. I think what we ended up getting was like a really solid Deep Space Nine episode. And I really, like you say, appreciated the pairing of, of O'Brien and Bashir together. And it's so rare on a show like Star Trek, which is like an ensemble drama to or an ensemble show to get scenes where it's just like a two-hander scene all the time where it's just the two actors together and getting those kind of strong character moments and things like that and i that's something i really appreciate about this episode and it's interesting because i think of like other other episodes where there might have been two characters like for the most part like duet a little bit um but that's with kira and a guest actor that's not you know two mains and i know there are some later where it might be two mains or like a a recurring and a main, but it is really nice to have an appetizer, it. <laughs> a dessert. Um, it's really nice to have like now. I want like pot stickers or something. Um, but it is really. I agree with you. It is really nice to have like two of our main characters just like get to play off of each other for most of the episode. Yeah, and like again, before we move into talking about the plot more, I do want to just say that after watching this episode, I kind of fell down a like research rabbit hole on the the legality of chemical weapons and the various treaties and and stipulations and you know how chemical weapons were actually technically banned before World War One, but were widely used anyways, even to the point that by 1918, one in three grenades was a chemical grenade or had some kind of, kind of chemical agent in it. And then in 25, there's a new ban on chemical weapons, but that ban didn't actually prevent any of the signatories from still making them and still using them or even potentially like using them against non-signatories and then uh, later there are two other treaties in the 70s and 90s that like eventually made people like destroy their chemical weapon stockpiles and and things like that but uh to my knowledge no one was um killed for knowing how to make them but i still maybe they feel were. like and I just people don't know are using chemical weapons though <laughs> like right oh yeah. yeah 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 i'm not the most yeah. knowledgeable on like war um and things that are going on but i feel like i definitely read that people are still using chemical weapons so all of these bands are really um you know being treated as suggestions i guess i don't know who knows <laughs> yeah um yeah i think the assad government in syria was really bad for that yes recently ish yeah um but yeah yeah i don't know well we'll get to a more star trek moment later on but uh i don't know i don't know if the the bad hair crew had or the funky hair crew whatever you want to call them really needed to resort to murder um to destroy knowledge of the harvesters but hey if they hadn't we wouldn't have had an episode so it would be really funny if um like over the end over so hold on i have to look this up 
Okay, so I am like low-key obsessed with the Ja Rule song, It's Murda. I don't like the song, but I kind of love it anyway. And it just like anytime there's any murder in anything, I like think of that song. And I just keep thinking how funny it would be to have that like in the score or soundtrack of this episode. Um, it's something I say regularly. Um, so yeah, it's Murda, one of my catchphrases. After helping the Talani and the Kellerans destroy their WMDs, um, a couple of the Kellerans come in to start killing everyone that worked on the project. O'Brien and Bashir fend off this fight and manage to get out of there alive. Um, but then, you know, they come up with a story and tell uh, Cisco that O'Brien fucked up and that they're dead. So basically we have a huge cover-up that is trying to go on. Pretty bold of them like, to, like kill two starfleet officers like right too and then try and cover up like i mean the, the, that which doesn't like excuse them from murdering their own scientists because it doesn't but just like you know it's like you, you don't really want to have an issue with one of the the major galactic powers when you're just ostensibly two independent um planets or two races or whatever like right. off on their own where did they ever say whether so. these gr- groups were in the gamma quadrant like i don't remember or do are we to just assume everyone that, that they helped that we never heard of was from the gamma quadrant i guess and i'm sure we could look this up like a memory alpha knowing empirically but my sense was no, my my sense was that there was it, they were alpha quadrant races okay. because we didn't actually see anyone go through the wormhole. The wormhole, and they seemed very familiar with the Federation and bringing them in and like different things like that. Like it wouldn't be necessarily like a first or a second or third contact scenario. So I just I inferred that they were alpha quadrant or beta quadrant races, not gamma quadrant races. But that was totally an assumption. Okay. That's um, fair. Maybe they just couldn't afford the wormhole graphics this week. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I'm going to look We did it up get now, that big though, explosion so. at the end. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. We did lose another runabout. <laughs> our, our second runabout is down. Um, yes. The Ganges no more. Um, I So I kind of... Um, most of the episode takes place with Miles and Juliet, but there's a little bit that happens with Cisco and the people in Deep Space Nine. And I really felt for Cisco having to deal with his personal feelings about Bashir and O'Brien, you know, being dead, I guess, in his mind, while also having to run the station because you can't just like not run the station anymore. Um, so obviously he wants to get to the bottom of what happened, but he does need an interim medical chief medical officer and engineer. And, um, you know, as Kira and Odo are want to do, they're like, well, we have to go investigate this, blah, 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 which is kind of funny because we don't actually see them do anything, either of them, for the rest of the episode. But I did appreciate Cisco saying to Kira to be mindful when talking to the Talani. Because, like, at this point, and it's not until the end that we know that the Talani is, like, in on it. We just think the Kellerans are the baddies the whole time. Um, but he does say, be mindful when talking to them because they lost people, too. And that 
That kind of warmed my heart. Um, and I do think that Kira would is the type of person that would need that kind of reminder because she would like go in guns blazing, like, what the hell happened here? But we never see that interaction, so I guess it doesn't really matter that much. Um, you mentioned this already, but like it was really funny to the whole basis of this episode and knowing that Miles and Julian were possibly not alive uh, was because Keiko insisted that the video couldn't be real because Miles wouldn't have coffee after two o'clock. Um, and, you know, Cisco and Dax look into things and they do find a couple of reasons why they might not be dead, but it was like, I kind of tuned a lot of that out. I was not... I wasn't as interested in that aspect, in, like, the mystery aspect of this episode because we Well, it wasn't really a Well, as I'm saying, like, I didn't care about them finding out that they were, like, how they found out they were still alive because I already knew they were still alive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I did find that O'Brien kind of rules in a stressful situation (laughs) and that... Julian trying to help was so funny. Him saying, I took the engineering extension course at Starfleet Medical. And I was like, same, Julian. I don't know if I told you this, but um, when I did my ship's counselor character for my Star Trek RPG, I made sure that they had, like, knowledge of something else as well. So I picked, like, warp engines. Although, like, I know shit about (laughs) that, so I gotta, like, look into that a little more. But it's always good to have a backup specialty. (laughs) I mean, when not being you see your character, just to be clear, when not being responsible for the mental health of a thousand crew members, or maybe five hundred, because I think you told me. Oh no, it is a thousand. We're we have a thousand. No, but you have you have a backup counselor now too, don't you? You Yeah, that's true. Weeks ago, I don't even remember. Um, But anyways, we're not (laughs) so. (laughs) (laughs) What what a great boss you are. Um, (laughs) when not being responsible for the mental health of a thousand crew members, you read warp warp shell static bubble uh technical journals yeah um that's like it's like the scene where dax was reading at the bar at quarks by herself and i was like she's probably reading like a technical manual or something that would be me i was hysterical at julian basically mourning partying it up with the talani girls like while telling brian well sorry while telling o'brien the only thing you could hope for is a good meal (laughs) julian loves making assumptions about situations i.e marriage and people i.e o'brien and he just like talks and talks and talks and one of the things that he says actually does make sense to me though like how um their jobs are not exactly the most safe. So it would, it could be very stressful for a potential partner who doesn't know, you know, if their spouse is alive or not. And that came up recently on an episode. I'm, I've recently started season three of Golden Girls. I'm really uh, racing through it. And there was an episode where these two detectives were doing a stakeout at the girls' houses. And the younger one was um, George Clooney, actually. But Dorothy had a crush on the older one. And they were very, like, it was very enemies to lovers because they were, like, bickering at the beginning. And it was, in the end, she decided not to date him because she could picture them being married and her being worried that her husband was going to be dead every time he left the house. And I was like... 
I mean, I also don't think you should, you know, marry a cop, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, it felt like very relevant. Um, I would be very uncomfortable if my partner was going out in danger all the time. I don't know. I, that would be something that would like, I, I'm an anxious person, so that would be a lot for me to deal with. I think one of Julian's biggest kind of character flaws that we've seen over the course of the first season and, and through the second season, you've you've nailed it right on the head, is, is the ways in which he loves making assumptions yeah. and then continues to to double down. Right? Like again, that great scene in the, his first scene with, with Kira in the pilot where he's talking about excited how he's all like, you know, front air quotes frontier medicine and like yep. he sees the world through his own lens and internalizes that to like a fault and like can't doesn't consider the choices or perspectives or, you know, material conditions or whatever of of other of those around him. And like Julian making these assumptions about Miles and, and Keiko's marriage and their dynamic. Like, again, it's one of those things that really felt um, very 20th century to me, even though, yes, I know ostensibly this is the 24th right. century, but like, like we've talked about before, it being, you know, products of its times and mm-hmm. its own mores and, and, and things like that. It just seems so like heteronormative, you know, monogamous like oh you can look but you can't touch and blah 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 i know your exact marriage dynamic and everyone is gossiping about how your marriage is on the rocks because you took this assignment yeah keiko's not happy and blah 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 and it's just like yeah it definitely shut up it felt like a mix of like you know how i've called this like melrose place in space mixed with like a sitcom like how people just there's misunderstanding and and gossip and you just i can't tell if o'brien's mad that julian is right because he is right that there is drama because in his relationship because they live you know they move to the station but that's like literally no one else's business um even if they've gotten an argument in front of people it's still not their business and i don't know if like julian's annoyed Sorry, I don't know if O'Brien's, like, annoyed with Julian for that or the fact that he can't keep his mouth shut or the fact, or both. And it's just, like, Julian does not stop talking ever. And I am not stopping talking now, so I feel um, (laughs) self-conscious about that. (laughs) I mean, we're we're podcasting. That's the whole idea. Um, But... Yeah, yeah. Who do you think of our main cast are, like, gossips and who are not gossips? I think that Dax is a closet gossip. Yeah. Like, she'd be very much, like, respecting everyone's um, choices, but would still be like, did you hear about this? Like, I just feel like she would be like that. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I mean, I think Julian is probably a big gossip yeah. as well. Um, maybe that's why he and Garrett get on. So <laughs> Garrett's got all, all the secrets. Or or, my, or Julian wants to know 
all the all the all the hot goss. Um, Garrick's like, who's the easiest mark to get information from these folks? Okay, I'm gonna love Julian now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah, O'Brien seems to be like the anti-gossip. Like he's very like, leave me alone. Um, I don't think Cisco is a gossiper. Quark definitely. I think that's, I think, yeah, I think Julian, Quark, and, like, maybe a little bit Dex, and everyone else is not a gossip. Which also makes me think that those are the three I would hang out with the most, because I definitely would be gossipy. (laughs) I think it's funny and telling that Julian's need, Julian has this need to prove to Miles that he's more serious than Miles thinks he is. In the sense that Miles is like, you're always talking about women. And he's like, well, let me tell you about the one time I actually chose my career over a woman. <laughs> um, I think it was supposed to surprise Miles and us as viewers to have this less superficial. Or I don't. I don't think superficial is the right word because I think that you can't really compare romance. I don't think romance is superficial, and I don't know if your career... Like, some career things can be superficial, too, like advancing careers um, to yeah, some people. Like, so I don't know that that's the right word, but it's just interesting. Like, it was supposed to make him seem more serious to us, I guess is the way I'm trying to... What I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's it's very much that idea of wanting people to recognize his own like complexities and his own intricacies and like the desire to truly be known, I think, as opposed to like some of the things that are really easy for Julian to present on the surface right. for better or worse. And like I think that ties in with his whole idea of giving his diary <laughs> Or his journal that or was ridiculous to Dax to read to help him like understand him more and it's just like it's like that scene in almost famous where William's like I'm dark I'm mysterious <laughs> blah, blah, like you know and like wanting to be seen as as this kind of like complex individual yeah. or like it reminds like, me oh, of what's... this time that this guy I was interested in or dating or whatever told me to read a certain book so gets to like know him better and then I did it and the whole thing is so cringe now. What book was it? <laughs> That's the cringe part. Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> I mean, granted, awesome. it was awesome. It was we were like twenty years old. <laughs> it was oh, of course, hundred percent. It was percent. Literally, yeah. tw- oh my god, it was almost literally twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was early 2002 uh, oh no maybe summer 2002 whatever it doesn't matter it was a long time ago but yeah like or you could just like show me that that's the type of person you are and then never mind I don't never forget that but yeah it, it reminded me of that the journal thing really reminded me of that yeah yeah I love that Dax I like didn't read it. I where Dax hadn't read it yet. Yeah, hadn't read it <laughs> Dax is way cooler than me, is basically what I learned there. 
yeah, it just reminds me of um, there's that line in the song I Will Possess Your Heart by Death Cab for Cutie where the main character in the song is like, it's like a, I'm a like a book elegantly bound in a language that you can't read just yet. You got to spend some yeah. time. Love got to spend some time with me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much that mentality, which is, <laughs> I think, very, very fitting with how young and naive yes. and you're not Fresh. that interesting, Julian. Julian really probably. Is. Yeah. Yeah. We all think, or like he is, but no, just not yeah. for the reasons but he like, like, thinks or wants to be or like whatever. The idea that you're like some mystery to be solved is like the most pretentious shit I ever heard of. Um, and I feel like I've felt that way about myself in the past. So I felt like watching Julian act this way was like almost like okay thank god you're not like that anymore elise like i yeah. even you know yeah uh, yes <laughs> so i haven't talked about it yet uh miles gets the harvester he gets the harvester uh, is that what we're calling it he kept looking like worse and worse throughout this episode and i was like my poor baby i did like that to wrap up the conversation about like love and marriage he later told julian that marriage is the greatest adventure of them all and i was like miles you are the ultimate wife guy (laughs) yeah it's the greatest adventure of them all yeah um it was good i think while i do think that from a technical aspect having dax instead of miles would have been pretty similar um, because I do think that while Dax is science and O'Brien is engineer, I think that their knowledge overlaps in a little bit, in a little, in a few ways. Um, but I do think that if you're having to have an engineer be kind of at a commission and have to explain how to do something to another human, a surgeon is a pretty good person to have because that's like another job that t- needs great care and like has to, you know, be very careful and <laughs> how they do things. So putting a person together. I guess I just compared putting a person together with putting a machine together. Sorry, people. Well, I mean, like, if to invoke Next Generation, the two people that know the most about data are Jordy and Dr. Crusher. So That's true. Um, and in Star Trek VI... Um, Spock invites McCoy to help him operate on a torpedo. Yes. Um, I love that. I always liked that scene. And he was very... real money for him to shut up. (laughs) 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 So, I really found it super funny when we finally find out that both groups are involved in the cover-up. Um, because they basically storm in on where they've been hiding the whole time and tell them the entire plot about how they have to kill everyone who knows how to do XYZ and make sure that they don't do XYZ ever again. And, like, that's literally insane to me because it is not in Julian or... I mean, obviously, they don't really know them, but it's not in Julian or Miles' character to ever create this weapon again. So the fact that they think they need to, like, kill them is completely ridiculous. But I did think about... And this is where 
I'm talking about the other episode where Julian got possessed, maybe they do need to get killed in case Julian's ever possessed again and then whoever possesses them realizes that Julian has the knowledge to create this chemical weapon and then makes the chemical weapon. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I don't think it's that they're, you're exact, you're thinking that's exactly right. Like, I don't think they're worried about the information willingly being shared Maybe, like, by exploited involved. in some way, it's, yeah. Yeah, like, or, like, you know, tortured out of them or, you know, different things yeah. like that. It was, um, <laughs> it was really funny, though, how long it took the bad guys to, like, explain their plan. Like, it was like, just shoot them already. But obviously they had to give the Dax, the other runabout where Dax and Cisco were enough time to get them transported off. Um, but did they, they like literally were just sitting there with their guns on them and like not doing anything and then just telling them, oh, I just love the bad guys tell the plot for too long and then the good guys win. Yeah. I don't know why it took so long for them to find Miles and Julian. Cause like the planet there above was one that everyone was like, killed by the harvesters and it's like can't you just scan for the two human life signs and like if they're the only life signs on the planet anyways whatever like overthinking the script now (laughs) what did you think about cisco fooling them into destroying the wrong runabout classic classic what if there was what if there was two planes (laughs) they're on a second transport that's great (laughs) Yeah, I do like um, there's um there's a lot of movies and shows that have like you know oh they're in the other the other one the the gold is in the other dump truck. Chewie was on the second transport. Yeah. yeah what yeah. were you saying? <laughs> Chewie was on the second transport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that one got me actually. <laughs> like as much as I did not like that movie, I was a little like <gasps> and then you know, yay. Um, do you think that Miles really didn't remember what he told Julian that it was an honor to work with him or he's just playing dumb because Miles hates emotional shit? That one. (laughs) Uh, All right. So my only qualm with the ending of this episode is that they got away from the two groups, but like, are those groups going to get in trouble? Like, did Julian and Miles just have to like watch their backs for the rest of their lives? They never like, sometimes they'll say like, in, um, sometimes at the end of the episode, Cisco will have like, um, why can't I, we'll do like a personal log and say what happened kind of afterwards. And we didn't get that here. I don't know why it took me so long to come up with personal log. Yeah, I'm sure they just got finger wagged by by the Federation and they're like, okay, okay, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. But, yeah. I hope they also paid reparations to the families of the scientists they murdered. Yeah. Yeah. that would be really um, but, helpful. It really did feel yeah. like there was just a lot of unnecessary death in this episode. And I don't mean like, obviously it was like part of the plot, but like it just felt like very cold, like the way that those two groups were yeah. acting. Like there was no, it was very single-minded. Um, 
and it left me feeling very icky. Not that, like, that was the story, but just icky about those two groups or those people that had made that decision. And, ugh. Well, and, like, to invoke another kind of, like, spy-adjacent movie or political thriller, um, earlier this week I was watching The Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Um, good movie. It is a good movie. Um, and just something that really, like, struck me about it, particularly this time, is, like, yes, there's, like, several like deaths that occur in the movie but like the movie all like stays with it for a bit and like doesn't necessarily like desensitize to it and like you really feel like the like tragedy of like you know the those deaths or like the weight the, just the weight of it right compared to like you know a different movie or even like this episode where it's like yeah it's sad but it just like it happens and then it's done um and like i think we kind of become it's really easy to do it that way and like it lots of lots of things do it it's not just this episode but when it's done in a way that like only like four or five people die over the cor- only air quotes <laughs> four or five people die over the course of the movie but like you feel the loss of each one differently instead of like what 10 scientists dying and then our two main characters escaping and then going on with the next part of the episode it just i don't know just different choices right but yeah i don't know what i'm i'm trying to say i was just listening well elise we've been recording for a bit we've covered everything from the hunt to red october to cabaret and a little bit of star trek deep space nine in between i don't know about you but uh, i'm a little parched so uh now it's time for the altair water thirst quencher so who are you thirsting for this week elise so i will preface this by saying that i am not actually thirsting for anyone in this episode but julie julian is certainly thirsting for that ballerina's feet julian is a foot guy confirmed he goes on to describe her most exquisite feet <laughs> to o'brien who i'm sure was riveted some fucking tarantino shit yeah right there. <laughs> said with no judgment of course from me <sighs> were you thirsting for uh, anyone in this episode not particularly it wasn't a particularly thirsty episode for I, me but it sorry go ahead. i was gonna say i did kind of even though it turned out to be wrong i did kind of love how sure keiko was about knowing her husband's um habits <laughs> like that was cute <laughs> but also she was wrong so <laughs> it was kind of funny in the end like it made me go oh that's cute so my most Star Trek thing of the episode was the fact that the government of crazy hairstyles, <laughs> joint governments, um, I can't even remember what the, the races are called. Talani and um, decided to kill every The Talani and the Kellerins, thank you, decided that they have to kill all of those with harvester knowledge instead of just somehow seeing voluntarily if the people involved want their memories selectively erased as we have seen in other star trek episodes where like you know the technology exists to selectively erase different memory engrams or or whatever the hell to just remove that and then the person can can continue living their life but won't won't be a threat to 
the balance of power to remake the harvesters instead let's just let's just murder them all yeah yeah that's great <laughs> so you're that's great. so way to go i think that that would have uh, made more sense but i don't so you basically wanted them to men in black them is what you're telling me yes basically but then we yeah. wouldn't have yeah. had um any of this fun story of julian and miles getting to know each other <laughs> Getting to know you, getting to know mm-hmm. all about you. Do, 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 do. Anyways, it's apparently musical morning. <laughs> what about you, Elise? So, who's, who's your nominee for yes. most Star Trek? Moment? My most Star Trek thing is differentiating the guest species by giving them different hairstyles. Um, so the their ears were the same, right? I think like so. The they pointy, they probably like, like yeah. were from the same like um you know whatever genus was I. That's a sciencey term. Whatever like species was, they probably like originated from the same species or whatever, evolution, etc. Yeah, so. Um, so one group, the Kellerans had that top bun, and then the Talani had that like backward crown thing that like peaked up like pigtails on the side. Um, those hairstyles looked horrible, which is really funny because this episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Hairstyling for a Series. So th- isn't this the second year in a row that that happened? Because weren't they, didn't they get nominated for the up for Move Along Home for the same thing for hair, the Wadi's hairstyle? That sounds right. That sounds right. Well, I will say that this episode probably had the most amount of hair styling. um so <laughs> most like, is not that, always that, better <laughs> sorry more no, is not but always. it is a bit of yes. outstanding achievement when you have <laughs> the most amount of <laughs> stylized wigs um the top bun looked like and i love a top bun but that was ugly <laughs> Well, Elise, until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me chatting about Mad Men Season 4 on my other podcast. We are coming back shortly in the new year here. Still great, Bob. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace, and you can email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And actually, we learned recently that you can rate and, I don't think review, but you can rate on Spotify Podcasts now. Thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time... Computer and program. Bye.